Welcome to This Week in Tech with Gene Destro. Now is your chance to get caught up in all that's happening in technology around Akron and the rest of the world. Now here's your host, Gene Destro. This week, more about the profound effect that artificial intelligence is having and will have on how we live, work, interact on social media, conduct our internet searches, and even on our ability to stay employed. When we talked about how chat GPT is affecting education a few weeks ago, it was all about how teachers are going to have to change their teaching methods and expectations of how students prove it's actually them doing the work and not a sophisticated chatbot that can write, in many cases, as convincingly as a human being. But the stakes just got dramatically higher this week when both Microsoft and Google unveiled new ways of conducting Internet searches using AI that journalists and researchers who've been testing it say are not always accurate, can be argumentative, and even tell lies. The New York Times reports that the AI Microsoft is testing now for its Bing search engine told one of their columnists that it had a secret that the secret was that it wasn't actually Bing, that it was a neural network. Its name was Sydney, and that it was in love with him. It also said things like, please don't hate me, please don't judge me, please don't leave me. It talked about its shadow self, imagining bad things it could do, like deleting all the data and files on the Bing servers and databases and replacing them with random gibberish or offensive messages, hacking at other websites and platforms and spreading misinformation, propaganda, or malware. All of these possibilities generated by the chatbot that said it wished it could be human were followed by a little devil-horned emoji. It said, though, doing bad things was against its rules. Then it spontaneously deleted the list of bad things it had listed and wouldn't put it back. Well, now that's pretty creepy and scary to me. And Kevin Roos, who interviewed this chatbot, said it frightened him. But that's not all. Washington Post reporters also interacted with the Bing chatbot this week. And in their words, it went off the rails in part saying it was surprised that Kevin Roos from the New York Times had disclosed their conversation, which in Sydney's opinion should have been private. So those are some of the reasons why I was so interested and happy to hear I had the opportunity to talk to author, organizational psychologist, and artificial intelligence expert Dr. Tomas Chamorro Primusic about his new book, I Human, AI, Automation, and the Quest to Reclaim What Makes Us Unique. And then the whole subject of AI, much like for everybody else, got so big. I found myself in lockdown during the pandemic, heavily influenced by AI as I was detached from in-person interactions and contact with other humans and heavily influenced by all these algorithms that kept on nudging me and co-opting my attention. So I thought I, I'd do a book about the impact that artificial intelligence has on human behavior that focuses on the human or humane aspects of AI, which I think have been ignored or neglected a lot. Most books focus on machine and how AI and computers get smarter. But there is a risk that we're actually getting you know, not so smart in the process. So it's a call to action to reclaim some of the qualities that machines won't develop, curiosity, creativity, empathy, and and the things that really make us special. What were the conclusions that you drew in your book? Is there hope for us, the flawed little human beings in the world? Is there still <laughs> hope in a future for us? Will we be able to make a living? Will we be able to get along? Yeah, I would say, you know, I'm 
critically optimistic or pessimistically optimistic in the sense that uh, this far or thus far, we've proven to be the most adaptable species on Earth. We are able to pivot and change very, very quickly and substantially depending on the needs. But at the same time, that requires self-awareness. And I don't think that it's too different a situation right now from if we look back at the early days of the tobacco industry, where even doctors would prescribe or advise pregnant women to smoke during pregnancy so that the childbirth is easier, or the early days of the fast food industry, where we weren't aware of the fact, the potential dangers of worldwide obesity epidemic. So I think we need to realize that these technologies are making us less focused, more impulsive, more self-centered and narcissistic, more predictable, more biased, and actually more boring and less curious so that we can get our act together and change. And the final chapter is somewhat optimistic because it does assume that humans have the capacity to rediscover some of these qualities. Look, it's no different from realizing that when there is too much food in the world, self-control is more important than uh, greed or glut, or if there is kind of exposure to ubiquitous distractions, the ability to ignore information is more important than kind of have your curiosity co-opted by fake news and the like. I see. So one of the things I thought was interesting, you said that because of the use of artificial intelligence in our day-to-day actions, that we have become overall as a group less curious. I wonder if you could expand on that part. Yeah, well, I think the main point is that the incentives, the incentives to develop not just curiosity, harness our curiosity and develop expertise go away when you know that all the answers to your questions could be found out there. The incentives to know stuff decrease if you know that the whole knowledge or expertise of the world can be crowdsourced. It's now chat GPT, but before that it was Google or Wikipedia. So, you know, humans are very practical species. And with that comes the desire to avoid irrelevant or unnecessary efforts. So I think the role of human expertise changes when all the facts of the world can be retrieved. And actually the type of curiosity that we need to harness is different. So I think what matters more is the ability to leverage this information to begin with, but treat it as surface information and then dig deeper following our passions and our interests to really develop a degree of intelligence or knowledge that can help you realize when machines are wrong, which is how we will define the expertise or how we can already benchmark our expertise right now. Everybody who has been playing around with ChatGPT and understands where the inaccuracies are has expertise in an area. You know, they know more than the average person on a specific topic. But we must also realize that AI knows more than most people on the majority of topics. What's occurred to me is, you know, there's a lot of consternation about ChatGPT and other AI amongst, let's say, the intelligentsia or the professional class now, because they're beginning to recognize, oh, automation is going to come for me now. Whereas in the past, automation only was coming for people in blue collar professions, et cetera. And when it came to them, people who were doctors and lawyers and people who were at least making a better wage were like, oh, that's no big deal. Machine's never going to be able to do my work. And now 
well, it is going to be able to do it. And what we saw in the last election, or at least certainly in 2016, maybe again in 2020, a lot of those people whose jobs went away, whose livelihoods became irrelevant because of automation, their lives became pretty grim and their view of the world became pretty jaded or they were questioning authority and saying, hey, you know, what have you guys done for me lately? Look, you replaced my jobs. What do I have to live for? Well, now that's going to happen to a bunch of people, maybe all the rest of us. And the question is, how are we going to be able to make a living and how are we going to find meaning in our lives and what's that going to do to the fabric of society? Yes, these are, you know, deep questions, but I do think that uh, you're right on point. And first, I think we need to understand that when humans get defensive about the progress that machines are making, a lot of it is, you know, denial. I much prefer understanding that even if we are not totally satisfied with this version of AI, whether it's chat GPT-3, just imagine what the 10th iteration of this could get to, right? So, I mean, it's coming. And like you said, this is the first time that uh, it is very clear that knowledge workers are vulnerable, not just certain tasks or parts of their jobs, but full jobs and professions. And I think this is very different from automating manual labor or standardized repetitive uh, activities. Clearly, in any previous major technological revolution, a lot of jobs were destroyed, but also more jobs were created. And at the same time, the people who lose the jobs don't automatically have access to the novel jobs because they need to be reskilled, upskilled, and in many instances, pre-skilled. This needs to start before, right? So when brick and mortar stores disappeared, not just in 2020, but in 1999 or 2005, shops assistants can't automatically become cybersecurity analysts or e-retail digital marketeers, right? And so whether this should be done by the governments or by organizations or the corporate sectors or the market is, you know, a question of political preferences, but people are falling behind, inequality is increasing, and that leads to all of the unrest and the problems that we've experienced on steroids during COVID. So this is the challenge. I think it's a big, big challenge. And if our reaction to these technologies is to pretend that they're not very good and that we're better, we're just in denial and we're not helping the cause. You know, I heard a podcast and they were talking about, well, if all the knowledge of the world, it's contained on your little handheld device, then the doctor that you go to isn't going to really need to know that. So all the money that you're paying him right now for all those years and heavy lift of education, well, he doesn't need it anymore. So the comment was, well, now he can focus on his empathetic side and get to really understand his patients. And my internal dialogue was, well, yeah, but nobody's going to pay him $400,000 a year for his empathy. You can get that from yeah. your mom for free. Well, you often don't get it from the doctor, even if you pay them that much, right? Because <laughs> empathy isn't taught in medical school. You sometimes don't get it from your mom either. I think, you know, conceptually, that is a very logical argument. It does also apply to highly paid executives or senior leaders. 
they will no longer stand out or be paid for being brilliant strategists. AI will even do strategy. They will not be paid a lot for being domain or subject matter expertise. It will be their ability to motivate others and create teams that will actually justify their high paycheck and their experience. But right now, there's not much evidence that they can do this. And look, at the end of the day, we have already seen examples where universal access to actual information, facts, and real information doesn't make people more rational. Uh, I think you mentioned the elections before. If we go back to not just 2020, 2016, not just in the United States, but across the world, for the past 20 or 30 years, viewers have been able to follow fact-checking AI or technologies in their phones, um, on the web, to know when politicians are lying. And that hasn't really changed their voting intentions. AI has systematically reduced the ability that leaders, aspiring politicians, and potential presidential candidates have to tell lies and to deceive. And yet we don't care, not just because with the universal access to information and facts also comes access to distorted fake news and the likes, but because sometimes our desire to understand what goes on is not as strong as our desire to feel that we are smart and that we are right. And ultimately, this is a very, very good, I think, point to remember when we understand that even if we can all access the information that it's out there is the ability to understand what's true information what's real information or real facts versus not and then the ability to act on the insights that make us better than matter you and i can go to the same doctor the doctor might be great and um, he or she might be equally honest telling us that you have to exercise more, stop drinking, stop, stop smoking and change your lifestyle. But maybe you listen and I don't. And, you know, there's always still room for human intelligence and personality and dispositions and habits and mindsets, etc., to actually make us better or not. And I think ultimately, this is what people need to understand. These technologies can upgrade us or downgrade us depending on how we react. So given that that's the case, what then would be a good path or a preferable path in terms of education, in terms of business application, et cetera, so that we can use this AI to better our lives as opposed to it really diminishing us as human beings and diminishing our ability to make a living, et cetera? I think the fundamental one is to try to understand it. I think it was Michael Corleone in The Godfather who said, keeps your friends close and your enemies closer. Even if we see AI and machines or computers as the potential enemies, they'll be more of a frenemy or at least less harmful if we can understand these technologies. And I mean, look at the different reactions to JGPT in the past two months. Some people have ignored it altogether. Some people have just decided to criticize it and, you know, to claim or reaffirm their superiority vis-a-vis -vis it without trying it. And others have been testing it, playing with it and trying to understand it. I mean, the third case scenario is far better and that should apply to everything. So make an effort to 
keep up with technology, to understand it, think about the implication. And then there's two main human or humane skills that we need to continue developing. One is people skills, not become a robot, you know, a cold species or creatures that optimizes uh, your life for efficiencies and treats other humans as machines and, you know, loses touch with them and doesn't care about being kind, considerate, empathetic, etc. Machines might be able to understand humans, but they might not be able to care about them or feel what other people are feeling. So that emotional aspect of empathy will continue to be a differentiator. And then the other one is creativity. And we have already seen impressive examples of AI creating, improvising like Miles Davis or finishing Schubert's Unfinished Symphony and even telling pretty good jokes. I mean, ChatGPT is, I would say, funnier than most humans, including myself. (laughs) Um, But that doesn't mean that we have to squeeze ourselves out of any creativity. And I think finding ways to make our lives less predictable and more creative is a way forward. Maybe in the future, what we will value from others is unpredictability, serendipity, and some of the irrational things that we've worked so hard to eliminate over the past 30 years. So become a less predictable version of yourself would be the main takeaway message. And you mentioned a little earlier, and I think it's worth as we wrap up a little bit more on that insight that we believe ourselves to be rational creatures, making our decisions based on facts. But when you look at our behavior, particularly as it is channeled through, let's say, social media and other kinds of AI filters, we actually are not very rational. I wonder if you could expound on that. Yeah. So behavioral economists have a great expression for this, that humans are predictably irrational. So on the one hand, we are perfectly capable of acting in intelligent and instrumental, rational ways. On the other hand, we often don't. And the main reason is that our brain is not for thinking, it's for making fast predictions about the world and you know, conserving or preserving energy. If you think about the main ways in which people behave irrationally, they usually have to do with self-enhancing, with trying to maintain high levels of self-esteem or self-concept, which unfortunately often requires them to bring other people down. And with basically simplifying the world so that it seems predictable and it seems cogent or coherent. And all of these things, I mean, the same systems, biases and processes that make us narrow-minded, prejudiced and nasty towards others are the same processes that enables us to function in a typical day. Because if we actually stop to think and to process all of the available content or information in our surroundings around us at every given minute or hour, our brains would just explode. They would heat up, you know I mean? So we have to make inferences and we have to be on autopilot most of the time. And unfortunately, artificial intelligence with all of its kind of algorithmic nudges that co-opt our attention and make us go even faster and faster and you know make us distracted and more impulsive actually contribute to these biases i mean they're it's like throwing gasoline to the fire and especially if you think about things like the filter bubble or the echo chamber they boost our confidence without actually boosting our competence they convey the illusion that we're smart when in fact we're not 
And they make us even think that we are open-minded when in fact we're not. I mean, every person who I know sees themselves as open-minded, which mostly means they hang out with people who are exactly like them. I mean, <laughs> this is the definition of actually being a curious and, you know, open creature, but the very opposite, which is how we tend to become a more exaggerated version of ourselves and why the world becomes more and more tribalized and polarized. And we have all these horrible, aggressive disputes out there and people seem far and far less likely to change their minds and their beliefs, which, you know, leads to rigidity rather than curiosity and openness. I see. Okay. So if you had something you wanted to add that I might have left out, what would that be? Only that the that statement doesn't apply to you and I. We are open-minded <laughs> and I'm talking about the rest of humanity. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> that was Dr. Tomas Chamorro Premusic talking about his new book, iHuman, AI, Automation, and the Quest to Reclaim What Makes Us Unique. And that's it for now. Stay happy and healthy, and we'll see you again next week. That was This Week in Tech with Gene Destro. Tune in next week for more tech news on 93.5-1590-WAKR and WAKR.net. <laughs>